The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, I know that in the past, I have shared with many of you, if you've been around Ecclesia for a while, just this roller coaster for me in one part of my spiritual life, which has always been prayer. Like, I grew up in a Christian home. I'm pretty confident that probably about five minutes after I was born, my mother had me in a church service somewhere of some kind. That's just the way that we were every time that the church building doors were open. That's where we were. Like, I won awards in Sunday school all of the time. They ran out of stars to put on my, by my name in Sunday school. Like that's just the place that I come from. And so what happened was that by the time I got a little bit older, early adolescence, and I was past the time where the only prayers that I would say would either be at dinner or at bedtime with a parent, and it was time for me to own my own prayers, like since that time, all the way up through adulthood in different ways, prayer has often been a struggle for me. And I I know that I'm not alone, but I also know that that's upsetting to a lot of people. Uh, My mother is very much the opposite. My mother has a spiritual gift and that spiritual gift is prayer. She is always praying. She's had the same prayer partner every every Thursday night for most of my life. But for me, it's not been that simple. I remember five years ago, right after Hurricane Harvey came through and our family um, lost a rental property that we owned in Katy. And I shared with you at that time, just like the ups and downs of that week, because this weird thing had happened, it crossed in the mail. We had flood insurance for that house, but our policy canceled every year and they issued a new policy. And like two days after Harvey came through and we were trying to figure out what we need to do, we got a letter from our insurance company saying, Your insurance has been canceled. Well, you picked a great week to do that. Like out of the 500 years before now, this week it's gonna be canceled. And we get that letter like at six o'clock at night, so there's nothing you can do until the next day except worry. And I told that story to you all, and we had these great people who had come into town to help Houston rebuild and recover from Hurricane Harvey. And one of the ladies who was here with us was so distressed by that story that she pulled me aside to pray with me about my struggle around prayer. And I don't know if she thought that was gonna fix it. It was a very sweet thing to do. But I thought, oh, I don't think you really heard me because the reason that I shared that is because I know that I'm not alone and what I feel, many of you feel or have felt. And it's not the kind of thing that gets talked about a lot in churches or Bible studies or small groups, that this question of like, why why do we do this thing? About 20 years ago, when my oldest daughter, we were looking for preschools for her and we found this Christian preschool out on the west side of town and we toured it with other parents and it was a kind of preschool, they really wanted you to know that your child was going to be taken care of spiritually. And the lady who is running it says every day, like our teachers pray and they pray with students. And she told me that she knew that prayer worked because she had prayed for her son 
who was in the army in Iraq to make it home safely. And he did. And I wondered, that's an interesting thing to say. Because what about all of the other moms that prayed? And their son, their daughter didn't come home. And that's not just a uniquely American problem. Since the beginning of war, mothers have prayed for their children to come home safe from war, and some have, and some haven't. And many of us have been people of prayer our entire lives. And what that means is that you probably have a laundry list of prayers that you have prayed, things that you wanted God to do, and the exact thing that you prayed for happened. But it also means that you've probably got an equally long list of things that you wanted, things that you prayed for that didn't happen. And there's nothing about us that wants to believe that God is just arbitrary, that it's a flip of a coin. And when that's the world you live in, and this idea of prayer comes up, you tell yourself, I love God, I wanna serve God, but I can't get all of that figured out, and so I'm just gonna leave prayer over here, and it's something that we'll do when we're in a worship service or at a small group, maybe at a Bible study, and prayer is just kind of a way of vocalizing your best hopes and wishes for the world. And you don't really expect much else. And I just want you to know, like, there are a lot of us who get that, who haven't just been there, but are there. And that's only one aspect of what makes prayer often complicated for us. Sometimes it's because folks are like me and they have been in church their entire lives. And once you've done that, you have heard a lot of thoughtless prayers. Like you've heard prayers that didn't make any sense at all that the worldview doesn't match up at all. Like you might as well have been like praying to a head of lettuce, like an old episode of what's happening. Y'all don't know what's happening. Don't even laugh at that. And people say things that don't make any sense. Or they say things in prayer that are really hurtful to the other people in the room. Or you've just been dealt a whole lot of complicated prayers. Like people are praying things that you don't even know what they mean. They use words that they don't use anywhere else except when they pray. Like in church tradition that I grew up in when I was a kid, there were a lot of these and thou's in those prayers. And I am confident no one ever said thee or thou in any other circumstance than when they were praying. Like I served at another church here in Houston for a long time, and there was a gentleman in that community, and every time he would pray, in gratitude, he would say that we live better than the princes and potentates of old. And I'm thinking, what is a potentate? And so oftentimes, we can't figure it out or it feels thoughtless or it's complicated. 
And so we don't do very much with it. And I wonder sometimes if I have, you have, we have, just made it more complicated than it has to be. So if you've been here this summer, you know that we've been looking at the lives of extraordinary women in Christian history and in the Christian tradition and what they did with their lives, but also what they said, who they served. And so you've gotten to meet some fabulous leaders and thinkers throughout the centuries. And I wanted to introduce you to one of my favorite living women thinkers. And it's this woman, Anne Lamott. Now I know many of you know who Anne Lamott is. She is still alive. She lives in San Francisco. Her Twitter feed is absolute entertainment. But Anne Lamott uh, grew up in a dysfunctional home, later became an alcohol and drug addict before she was converted. And she's written some of the best books in the English language and some of the best books on writing in the English language. So if you are a writer, if you are a would-be writer, I get approached by writers all the time and they ask me what they should do, what my process is, how to go about it. And the first question I ask them almost all the time is, have you read Bird by Bird? And it's Anne Lamott's book on writing. And this is a freebie. This had nothing to do with the sermon. I just wanted you to know. If you haven't read Bird by Bird, you are not ready to write anything. That is the standard book for the creative life is Bird by Bird. But it was about four years ago that she released one of her more powerful books. And it's a small little one called Help, Thanks, Wow. Thoughts on prayer. And like many of us, she brings those same questions to her prayer life. And she says that when you boil it down and simplify it, prayer comes down to three great prayers. Help, thanks, wow. But it all begins with a soul orientation to what prayer is. And this is what she says at the beginning of Help Thanks Wow. She says, I do not know much about God and prayer, but I have come to believe over the past 25 years that there's something to be said about keeping prayer simple. Help Thanks Wow. You may in fact be wondering what I even mean when I use the word prayer. It's certainly not what TV Christians mean. It's not for display purposes like plastic sushi or neon. Prayer is private, even when we pray with others. It is communication from the heart to that which surpasses understanding. Let's say it is communication from one's heart to God. Or if that's too triggering or ludicrous a concept for you, to the good, the force that is beyond our comprehension, but that in our pain or supplication or relief, we don't need to define or have proof of or any established contact with. Let's say it is what the Greeks called the really real, what lies within us beyond the scrim of our values, positions, convictions, and wounds. Or let's say it is a cry from deep within to life or love with capital L's. Let's not get bogged down on whom or what we pray to. Let's just say prayer is communication from our hearts to the great mystery or goodness. Prayer is talking to something or anything with which we seek a union, even if we are bitter, or insane or broken. 
And so what she's pointing to is this idea that prayer is about an orientation to what is ultimate for you. And in that orientation, it means honesty and openness, communication, as she says, from your heart to God. And this is a strange place that we get in trouble. Because for many of us, when we think about prayer, what we think about is not communication from our heart to God. We think about what we think we should say. And there is a place for that. Like when Jesus' disciples come to him and they say, Lord, teach us to pray, he teaches them the Lord's Prayer. And he teaches them the Lord's Prayer for a reason. He teaches them the Lord's Prayer because in it are the things, the aspects of life which are most crucial to God and that which, which we most need. That's all in the Lord's Prayer. So when our family lived in Temple, Texas, for five years, every Sunday when we gathered with our community, we said the Lord's Prayer together as a means to align our hearts with the heart of God. What God is up to and interested in the world is captured in the Lord's Prayer. And it is good for us to say that even when we don't think it or feel it or know it or can see it. But that's not the only prayer in the Scriptures. And it's not even the only prayer that Jesus prays. Like on the night that he's betrayed, Jesus does not pray the Lord's Prayer. It's a different prayer from his heart to God's. And this has always been the case. And the ancient Jews had this book of prayers and songs that they called Psalms. And I know that for many of us, the language of the Psalms seems remote. We don't like songs or hymns or poetry, but what you will find in the Psalms is a community communicating with their God and it is open and raw and honest and a little bit of everything. So there's a man named David who wrote a lot of Psalms. And some of them are beautiful music and praise to God, but not all of them. This is what David says in Psalm 28. He says, eternal one, I am calling out to you. You are the foundation of my life. Please don't turn your ear from me. So David starts in a place of despair, questioning God and God's motives, asking something for God. He says, if you respond to my pleas with silence, I will lose all hope like those silenced by death's grave. Listen to my voice. You will hear me begging for your help with my hands lifted up in prayer, my body turned toward your holy name, your holy home. I beg you, don't punish me with the most heinous men. They spend their days doing evil. Even when they engage their neighbors in pleasantness, they are scheming against them. Pay them back for their deeds. Hold them accountable for their malice. Give them what they deserve. So what starts with David in despair? In just a few verses, we have moved despair to what? Vengeance. You haven't prayed a prayer of vengeance in a long time. I mean, not to God. That's for gossiping with your friends over coffee. But you've prayed it, just not to God. 
Because these are the people who have no respect for you, O eternal. They ignore everything you have done. So he will tear them down with his powerful hands. Never will they be built again. The eternal should be honored and revered. He has heard my cries for help. The eternal is the source of my strength and the shield that guards me. When I learn to rest and truly trust him, he sends his help. This is why my heart is singing. I open my mouth to praise him and thankfulness rises as song. The eternal gives life and power to all his chosen ones, to his anointed, he is a sturdy fortress. Rescue your people and bring prosperity to your legacy. May they know you as a shepherd carrying them at all times. And all of that in one Psalm from despair to vengeance to pleas for justice, to praise, all there. And this is how the Psalms work. This is how prayer work, that it all belongs. And so if you lived in antiquity, if you lived in the ancient world, you would know that when someone said the beginning of a Psalm, they weren't just talking about the beginning of the Psalm, they weren't just quoting, but they would understand, they would expect that you would know all of the psalm. And you wouldn't just know what they said, you would know how it ended. So on the cross, Jesus cries out to God and Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what that is not, that is not Jesus feeling like God has forsaken him, that he's been abandoned, that he is alone. Because that's a psalm. It's Psalm 22. And this is how Psalm 22 ends. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship and all go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive Prosperity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn. He has done it. How does that psalm end? That people yet born will praise the Lord that Jesus in this state, his prayer is not that God has forsaken him, but that God is at work in the world. But neither is it a flippant God is at work in the world without acknowledging that it feels like God has forsaken him. It's all there. And that's, what prayer is, is honest conversation, communication. Because that's the only way that you can actually have a relationship. Because all of us know people, have people in our lives for whom we cannot talk about certain things. 
You know, like you cannot bring this up with them. They can't go there with you. They don't have the capacity to have a conversation about this. And you know, those are not good relationships. Because whenever honesty is strangled, the truth dies. And this is why God says to us, this is why the invitation exists for prayer. Not to make you think or feel certain things, but because you do. And God can hold it all. Three simple words. Help, thanks, wow. This is what Anne Lamott says about help. And the problem with Anne Lamott is she's such a good writer, when you start reading, you just want to keep reading. She says, most good, honest prayers remind me that I am not in charge, that I cannot fix anything, and that I open myself to being helped by something, some force, some friends, some something. These prayers say, dear some something, I don't know what I'm doing. I can't see where I'm going. I'm getting more lost, more afraid, more clenched help. These prayers acknowledge that I am clueless, but something else isn't. While I am not going to go limp, I am asking for the willingness to step into truth. This is what gets everyone off the hook, the hook being the single worst place to be. My priest friend Bill Rankin said that through prayer, we take ourselves off the hook and put God on the hook where God belongs. When you're on the hook, you're thrashing, helpless, furious, like a smaller kid lifted by the seat of his pants by a mean big kid. Jesus, on the literal hook of the cross, says to God, help. And God enters into every second of the passion like a labor nurse. And for many of us, One of the things that's difficult for us to do, words that are hard for us to say, is to ask someone for help. And that's not just other people. Oftentimes, we have difficulty even asking God for help. But what if, like Jesus on the cross, is in the asking of God for help that you will see and feel God most clearly. That when we give up the illusion that we have some control or capacity to run our own lives and ask for God's help in the middle, in the midst of both joy and struggle, that that's when God meets us. Because when you open up the scriptures and you read the prayers of the women and men there, they are not slow at all to ask God for help because they actually don't think they are the center of the world. You need help. And I may never have spoken to you personally or know much about your life, but I know this. You need help. And God has always invited you to ask. But help, 
isn't where God stops or where prayer stops. She also talks about the second great prayer, which is thanks. And this is what Anne Lamont says about thanks. She says, thanks is the short form of the original prayer I used to say in gratitude for any unexpected grace in my life. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. As I grew spiritually, the prayer became the more formal, thank you. And now from the wrinkly peaks of maturity, it is simply thanks. Now as then, most of the time for me, gratitude is a rush of relief that I dodged a bullet The highway patrol guy didn't notice me speeding by or the dog didn't get hit by someone else speeding by. Or, oh my God, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, that it was all a dream. My child didn't drown, I didn't pick up a drink or appear on Oprah in underpants with my dreadlocks dropping off my head. That is not a concern for most of us, but it is for her. These are all DEFCON 1 moments of relief and gratitude worth giving God thanks. The second and third levels of this great prayer are said with a heaving exultation of breath, the expulsion of bellows, thank you. The constables found my passport, the brakes held. The proliferation of white blood cells was about allergies, not leukemia. The pediatrician canceled the appointment with the head of oncology and instead recommended Benadryl. Oh my God, thanks. How can you help saying thank you after moments like these when real danger is averted? Even atheists do. Agnostics joke, the man upstairs must like me as if it's the dean of admissions. I personally clutch at my chest and cry, thanks my God, thanks. And at such moments, I would kneel and press my forehead to the ground if my right knee would not begin to sob. Then I usually move to, I owe you big this time. I'll never ask for anything else. This time I mean it. I thank God when my obsessive looping is alleviated. Oh God, thank you, 10 whole minutes just passed without one thought of a cigarette or a drink or of a horrible ex. I got through the bad appointment with my doctor, my bank, my lawyer, my ex, the worst is over. Actually, under no circumstances should you ever say or even think the worst is over. You will bring the evil eye down on yourself so fast it will leave you keening. But it is okay to say that could have been so much worse, which is always the case. Gratitude runs the gamut from shaking your head and saying, thanks, wow, I appreciate it so much for your continued health or good days at work or the first blooms of the daisies in the public park to saying, thanks, that's a relief. When it's not the transmission or the abscess or an audit notice from the IRS, thanks can be the recognition that you have been blessed mildly or with a feeling as intense as despair at the miracle of having been spared. You say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. My wife is going to live. We get to stay in the house. They found my son. He's in jail, but he's alive. We know where he is and he's safe for the night. And so in saying thanks, we acknowledge what our culture really does not want to acknowledge. Our lives are not simply made of the sweat of our brow, of our talent, of our brilliance, of our good looks. 
but that there is a God who gives gifts and is actually paying attention to you. To the things that concern you and whether you think they are a big deal or not. Because there are many of us who say, I've got this concern going on in my life, but God's really got more to do. He's too busy to worry about this. But he's not. And God is invested and interested in walking with you and noticing. And one of the ways we pray is to notice that God noticed. To say, thank you. It could have been so much worse, but it wasn't. And if you look back over your life, you will see a trail of God's blessings behind you for which you can just say thanks. I have been so incredibly blessed in my life. I'm one of the few people I think in the world who can say without flinching that I have done everything that I always wanted to do. And it would be easy for me to buy into the American narrative that I'm just better or smarter or more gifted than a bunch of other people, but I know me well enough to know that that's not true. And so much has been the right place at the right time, meeting the right person, having wonderful children, so many things that I had zero control over. And all I can do about that is say thank you. And that's not just me either. Because I bet for many of us, if we look at the grand arc of our lives, that's true for you too. And then wow, Anne Lamont says this, she says the third great prayer, wow, is often offered with a gasp, a sharp intake of breath, when we can't think of another way to capture the sight of shocking beauty or destruction, of a sudden unbidden insight or an unexpected flash of grace. Wow means we are not dulled to wonder. We click into being fully present when we're stunned into that gasp by the sight of a birth or the images of the World Trade Center tower falling or the experience of being in a fjord at dawn for the first time. Wow is about having one's mind blown by the mesmerizing or the miraculous, the veins in a leaf, birdsong, volcanoes. Wow is the child seeing the ocean for the first time. Wow is the teenager's Christmas car, secondhand but still. Wow is John Muir, Walt Whitman, Mary Oliver saying that the son was the best preacher that ever was. What can we say beyond wow? in the presence of glorious art and music so magnificent that it can't have originated solely on this side of things. Wonder takes our breath away and makes room for new breath. That's why they call it breathtaking. 
And here, I think, is where we struggle most, is losing our wonder. And some of that has to do with the fact that we just over-talk. Like, I just feel like nails on the chalkboard every time I hear someone describe a meal as amazing. Like, I've even asked my wife, because I've been around Ecclesia for a long time here, there are only two meals that we ever have, whether it's a staff event or a church-wide event, it's either amazing or no meal. Everything is described as amazing. And when you open the scriptures, do you know what they say about the people who came to Jesus, were healed by Jesus, who heard Jesus teach more than anything else? They were amazed. And God has given us this amazing world with truly amazing people that is so much better than a good steak. And one of the places moving forward that we will recover God in an American religious landscape that no longer takes Jesus seriously is to recover our wonder. That God has given us a place and we are a people that are truly amazing and we look at it and we should say, wow. And I don't know about you. We took my oldest daughter to college on Friday And so if you're wondering why I'm crying every 30 minutes, that's the reason. And I've told you before, we were never supposed to be able to have her. The doctor said we'd never would. And it has just been an incredible journey of 18 years of having her in our home. And she has done more than we ever asked or imagined. And I don't know, but when I look at her, when I look at both of our girls, All I can say to God is help. (laughs) Thanks. Wow. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.